0: Welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, as always, we have Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny?
1: I'm good. I'm stuck in a delicate balance, balance, uh, dance even, between uh, trying to make sure that my audio levels sound good and that I am not boiling to death in this room. The fan is currently on (laughs) one. It's on one of three. I will update you as the podcast continues.
0: I do uh, noise cancellation in post-production, so as long as it's a consistent... Uh, like if it's not an oscillating fan, which would kind of change the noise profile, (laughs) if it's like a consistent just blowing on you, I think that would be okay.
1: It's just consistently blowing on me.
0: Okay, good. Uh, (laughs) speaking of consistency, Rob Zachney is with us as well. How
2: are you, Rob? Uh, not bad. I leave the window wide open and, uh, who knows what my audio landscape, my soundscape is going to be on the final track. And I have a badly... Badly behaved dog in the apartment. Uh, So while Danny roasts stuff for the sake of the audio quality, I have let Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) Always an interesting time here on Shift
0: F1. Uh, If you have found Formula One recently. I'm sorry. uh, You are. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Um, But we do have an episode designed for newbies that explains the entire sport. From top to bottom, uh, albeit under the assumption that we would have a full season this year. But still, if you'd like some context, that is episode 96. And if you're new to this podcast in particular, we are obviously deviating from what we normally do in these episodes, uh, which is a pre-race buildup and a post-race debrief. But we do want to keep everybody up to speed on the news that there is uh, and provide a little racing-themed entertainment, which I think we could all use. So Mm. um, this week, we are focusing on uh, news and listener emails. uh, And next week, hopefully... We should have an interview with a special guest, so we're, we're mixing it up a little bit.
1: Bow, bow, bow. Uh,
0: so uh, let us know what you think of that. I think interviews could be fun if we could swing them. Mm. Um, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at Patreon.com/slash/ShiftF1, where every month we release bonus episodes of our podcast exclusively for our patrons. That cover things like racing documentaries and films, um, primers for other racing series, and other weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that, along with uh, early access to the video content that we do on our YouTube channel, head over to patreon.com slash one or click the link in the show notes. What
1: is going on this month, Danny? Uh, we will be putting up a track walk of Zandvoort on our YouTube channel. Uh, so early access patrons will get ac- access to that early surprisingly and then we are deciding to go in a different direction with our uh, film review this month uh, we've we've generally sort of gone for beloved movies and documentaries <laughs> but uh, according to rob zachney we are uh,
2: about to take on the worst motorsport movie of all time is that what you said rob the worst one i've seen i don't think uh, like i think the bar for worst one of all time is probably pretty high or low depending on your perspective uh, <laughs> but one of the most disappointing, that I can easily say. Fantastic.
1: Yes. Well, if you want to get ahead of that, make sure to give Sylvester Stallone all of your money and rent <laughs> driven on uh, your, I guess, uh, streaming platform of choice. It is not on Netflix, sadly, so you will have to drop three or four bucks on uh, on who, whatever fandango or amazon or itunes or whatever you want uh to watch it uh but yeah if you're a patron you can check out our review of it in fact maybe you don't have to watch it you just have to let us suffer for <laughs> there you your go. enjoyment
0: save, save save yourself some suffering <laughs> uh that'll be up uh toward the middle of the month yeah uh all right cool well uh let's jump right into the news as it is Uh, shall we? We have some updates on the 2020 season that uh, just came out recently. Formula One CEO Chase Carey um, got out there and said, all right, here's our plan. We're looking at possibly 15 to 18 races, starting with the Austrian Grand Prix uh, on the 5th of July. People were expecting it to maybe start with France, but France just um i think uh delayed all sports
1: even further i think what happened so is that we're the lord our savior listened to my prayers <laughs> 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 that we hopefully we never have to race at circuit uh paul ricard ever again see even <laughs> in these dark times every cloud has a silver lining uh
0: they also spelled out the fact that they're going to try to group, and I don't know why they don't do this regularly, but they're going to try to group them by continent. Mm. So European rounds will take place in July, August, and September, initially behind closed doors. Um, and this, uh, all this information was collected very nicely by Autosport, uh, before the events in Asia, and then the Americas. Bahrain and Abu Dhabi would then form the final races of the season taking place in December. But uh Of course, all of that is planned. Things are still up in the air. Although the first handful of racing circuits seem to be on board for this. Um, Austria says thumbs up. Uh, Britain, Hungary and Spain are also uh, saying that uh, uh, that they could do uh, slots in that timeframe as well. Um, interestingly, the Guardian points out that Formula One group is likely to provide the financial backing to enable the British Grand Prix to go ahead. Um, and uh, the Spanish Grand Prix, I think, Danny, you might have more to say, but uh, they are also doing some um, some money tricks to be able to uh, to host a race. But Uh, In terms of where the teams are on this, Otmar Safnauer of Racing Point says that uh, in this Autosport article, I think all the teams would be able to make it no problem if we started in July. Um, And uh, I just have one more thing here from Autosport that breaks down a little bit of what these races would look like, especially the the ones without fans. So um, we would be having no spectators, No guests, nor the media, Mm. according to Autosport, uh, reducing team personnel to the minimum possible, perhaps as low as 45 for each outfit, which doesn't sound like very much. Uh, And ensuring that the F1 staff present are, quote, relatively isolated from the population who live near the tracks. The wearing of face masks could also be made mandatory. And traveling personnel may be required to provide uh, health certificates confirming that they are not infected with COVID-19. So, uh, yeah, they're also, of course, at the mercy of every country um, and their own uh, government mandates. But if the countries are acting any uh, similarly to the um, the circuits, uh, it it shouldn't be that hard for Formula One to arrange this stuff. It seems like the circuits, at least, are very um, committed to uh, making this stuff
1: happen. Yeah, they're on opposite sides of of the negotiating table, though, in that respect. The circuits, of course, are going to say yes, because the circuits need to say yes to exist. They're like a capitalist entity. They need this to happen no matter what. Uh, Yeah. The people who don't want foreigners coming into their countries are the governments. So the governments have basically no incentive to do this whatsoever. There's no... Like what revenue is going to be made in terms of taxation at this event where nobody turns up? Like it's a massive <laughs> risk. So like where this falls apart is governments and where each country is at any one time because, and, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a moving thing. European countries are more open to it. Argentina only said yesterday that they're going to ban all incoming travel until September at least. So like they, we all, we know that the Middle Eastern countries are going to, do whatever the fuck they're not gonna care at all so like it 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 depends on country by country where this whole thing is gonna land um which is why we've seen like france be the one that's like not on board because the french are being hit harder spain is an interesting one i'm 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 kind of interested to see if that one goes ahead
0: yeah i mean speaking of money danny do you want to take us through what this means for uh the teams maybe
1: sure yeah um there's a couple of different i i guess you know forks on this uh on the on this branch um the first one being the circuits and then sort of the teams uh and and then the the financial i guess health of this whole thing going forward so to talk about the the uh the organizers themselves um this one from uh the associated press uh Formula One organizers are opening open to negotiating hosting fees for races that may take place without fans this season because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the General Manager of circuits de Barcelona, Catalunya, has said. Um, John, I'm going to say Fons, Fonsere, Fonsere? Uh, told AP that Liberty Media is conscious that if races needed to go on without fans, the contracts with event promoters will likely have to be somehow negotiated. And they're conscious that these are exceptional situation, he said. Uh, we're obviously on the same page. If they want to keep some races on because of TV rights, because of the teams, they know that our income will be reduced. Uh, they realized that this year it will be... Uh, sorry, that it'll be like that. So for sure, we are on the same page. Uh, he said Spanish Grand Prix organizers at this moment are not even considering a race with fans of Barcelona. He said that not only ticket sales will be affected if the event goes on without these stands and no hospitality suites. So I guess the issue here being that the amount of revenue that's brought in, and this isn't just for the organizers, it's also for the teams. Like There's a lot of money made on the side, be it hospitality suites, be it merchandise, um, lots of different sort of uh, um special event tickets that get put on uh, tertiary events there's this massive gulf in uh in in income which is effectively like makes these things financially um, plausible or or profitable in any sort of way so effectively liberty is going to have to come in and this is kind of in the in the in the vein of bernie on a sort of a case by case basis and we're also seeing this with the teams coming in to try and make sure that the uh that the organizers I guess are in a position where they'll be able to do this sort of mid to long term. So being able to put on the race, like you said, in terms of Silverstone and then also in terms of, you know, what we're looking at in 2021 and going forward. Um, we don't want the situation where we had in Germany, for instance, where neither the Nürburgring or the, um, what was the other one that was at? It was Nürburgring and Hockenheimring um, mm-hmm. were sort of bouncing around because neither of them could afford to put on races. And this is basically trickling down to every one of these circuits, and many of which, including uh, Catalonia, which also does MotoGP and some other stuff, but some of these circuits don't really do that many big races a year and they kind of need this one. Um. So uh, that's kind of where they are at the moment. Uh, last little quote from this. When the Catalan government invests in F1, it's not only for the tickets that we sell, it's also for the financial impact that the event has on the country in Catalonia. Um, I like how they refer to the country as Catalonia. The ec- The economic impact for this country can, uh, will be very reduced. It means no income for taxis, hotels. So that changes completely the agreement between the two parties. So yeah, massive part of it. Like it, the circuit has named that for a reason. The Catalan government uh, obviously funding a lot of what goes on there. So at a certain point, um, it's it's not something, you know, especially in, in these dark days, the last thing that any local government is going to want to be spending money on is is something like that. So um, Catalonia kind of giving us a one um, one sort of look into what the reality is for some of those courses. Uh, it's the same for the teams. Um, everyone's kind of suffering in their own little way, and we've got some stories here about Williams, and, and I'm going to start with Alfa actually, because uh, autosport.com got some quotes from Franz Tost, who is obviously running the show over there, uh, talking about just how much of a squeeze this is going to have for them going down the road. Uh, Toss said, the contracts are designed in such a way that if we lose revenue proportionally if races are not run because of the agreed amount, because the agreed amount is uh, then reduced. If we don't drive a Grand Prix, uh, the estimate is it will cost one and a half to two million. So that's per race. Yeah, Uh, euros. Euros, sorry. Uh, Toss thinks the current uh, shutdown is survivable in the short term but thinks things could get very painful for teams if racing is not resumed by the summer. Uh, He said, if we start racing in July, we'll get a black eye. If that's uh, not the case, things will get very critical. If nothing comes in uh, uh, at all all year round, it will be a very critical matter. If you don't get any income at all, it's obviously a disaster economically. And this was echoed by Claire Williams in an interview with Autosport. Uh, who said, for us, going racing is absolutely critical this year, but as I said it, it has to be when it's safe to do so. I think this is an opportunity. I think, of course, this is sort of the similar talking point that Claire often talks about, but obviously she's in that position. She says, uh, I think Formula One, the model within which we operate has been exposed as probably an unsustainable model when something like this happens. I've heard rumors about a July start. If it was July, I know that Williams would be there. Um, And as a result of this... The F1 uh, Liberty Media themselves are um, giving some teams advances to basically just make sure that they're okay in the short term. The medium to long term projections of this thing are constantly shifting, obviously, but already some teams are suffering. Um, This quote from Autosport as well. Liberty Media president and CEO Greg Maffei uh, has confirmed that F1 has given some teams payments in advance in order to protect the championship's ecosystem. Teams are paid a percentage of F1's overall income, which has taken a major hit as more and more races are lost from the calendar. We have advanced money in advance of team payments for certain teams already, he says. Uh, There are cases where we may be doing more of that. There are other things that we might do to bridge teams that might need help. Um, If you run races with no live audiences, we'll obviously have lower profitability, maybe even no profitability. Um, How do we do something that is beneficial for fans but also doesn't have the teams bankrupting themselves um, by conducting no profit uh, or loss races? So I guess the issue here being, you know, for some teams putting on races without fans is actually probably worse than not running the races at all. Um, It all depends on the reality of their contracts, their sponsors, the type of um, financial pipelines they've got set up. And uh, obviously when it comes to the teams, the circuits and even sort of profitability in the short term or survivability everyone's kind of on their own little trajectory and everyone's trying to make sure that it's okay but that's why that's why a lot of these talks about like where we are where we're at in terms of when races are going to start like a lot of it just kind of feels kind of wishful thinking and kind of the type of thinking you Need to be saying in public to keep things going. Um, mm-hmm. oh, hopefully, we will get back to racing in a safe way, but it's uh, there's still a lot of unknowns for all the sort of knowns we're being told right now. There's still so much, um, that's going on behind the scenes that might have an impact, uh, in the not too distant future.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think it's it was good for me to uh, you know, run through all this stuff and, and learn about it because it's not like uh, it, I guess it just reaffirms the fact that. Going racing again is not just a fun thing to do. Like these teams like need this to happen um, in order to stay uh, above water. Uh, One team that would like to be not only above water, but steering the ship. (laughs) Ferrari. Uh, Rob, what does Ferrari have to say
2: about all of this? Well, Ferrari's position... You know, in you you almost have to take your hat off to a team that won't let the destruction of the global economy uh, alter its perspective one iota uh, from what it has historically been. So one of the, like, in relation to this financial squeeze that every team pretty much up and down the grid is feeling is a lot of teams want to impose a stricter budget cap uh the original budget cap was set at 175 million dollars and there are still like some teams that never you know that, that want to spend more money ferrari is one of them because ferrari can afford to spend more money um one of the reasons that you'd want a lower cost cap is because it'll keep a lot of the struggling mid-tier teams in. Like I think we all agree. Like Formula One is a more interesting sport for having ten teams on the grid, uh, and even if only a handful of them comp- only a handful of them are competitive. It's generally been recognized as a bug and not a feature of F one. Uh, so there's been a lot of discussion with new urgency around lowering the cost cap. one of the teams pushing really hard for this is uh mclaren uh andrea seidel uh made comments to me to the media he said i think the crisis we're in now is the final wake-up call that the sport which was unhealthy before and not sustainable has now reached a point where we need big changes drastic changes uh, we would like to see the budget cap as low as possible. We have put out the number of $100 million, which is something we would be in favor of. I go to see a commitment from everyone, understand that we are in a big crisis, and we have to make big decisions to make sure we protect the teams and protect Formula One. Ferrari says to hell with that. Uh, <laughs> Ferrari's uh, position is that they will not accept further reductions below uh they will not accept further reductions below the, I want to say the $150 million revision. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, I've so, seen
0: 145.
2: Yeah. So in relation to this, teams already agreed that they were going to cut from the $175 million budget cap for next year uh, down to 150. But that was early days of this, you know, where the depths of this wasn't, fully clear. Uh, now it's clear. And now there's a lot of teams panicking and saying, we, we have to lower the levels of, uh, spending in the sport. And Ferrari has basically said, no, uh, we, we won't, we, we will not accept, uh, a lower level of spending, uh, that would impose too much sacrifice on us. And then Ferrari, then this is, this is Bonato speaking for Ferrari. Uh, plays the card they have historically always played when it comes to Formula One-wide regulations. Uh, he said if it was to get even lower, we would not want to be put in a position of having to look at other further options for deploying our racing DNA. Uh, Gross. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Yikes, grab a towel, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what, how do you feel about... Because this is like... You know, kind of a familiar story, right? Obviously, we've we've heard we've heard them bang this drum before, but I can't think of a situation where Ferrari are in as weak a position as right now, and not even necessarily because of the COVID nineteen stuff, but just in general, where the, they're like a they're they are in a. I can't imagine a scenario in which any situation right now Ferrari needs F one. Way more than F1 needs Ferrari. There's really good mid-pack teams which would be more competitive. We could drive this whole thing together. Ferrari have been floundering for years, even with the, with good drivers. They're not. They're not in the mix. It's the conversations between them and Red Bull fighting, not them and Mercedes. Fucking what is what else has Ferrari got going for it? Ferrari needs F1. It needs to sell cars. It needs to be a brand. They're panicking because if they're not at the top, then. That's a massive hit on the identity of their brand. But like F1 doesn't fucking need this shit anymore. Like, let's let's know. just, let's do it. Let's balk. Ferrari were so, gone tomorrow, I would not care. Yeah, and I think a lot of F1 fans would feel that way as well. The Schumacher days are gone.
2: They uh, Are they as gone as you think though? Like, it's been a while since I've been to a race, but every single one of these things I see, there's still a ridiculous amount of Ferrari merch in the stands, right? Like, the thing that I don't know is because like... In my heart, I'm with you, right? To me, this is all a bluff. Like, Ferrari needs F1. F1 needs Ferrari. Nobody can afford to divorce this marriage, to to end this marriage, right? Like, this this is something that Ferrari says as part of their relationship with F1, but it gets less credible each time. Uh, they, right. they don't have really strong racing programs elsewhere. Certainly, none that are that are high profile. But here is the thing: like Ferrari is kind of the uh, Red Sox and Yankees rolled into one of Formula One. Like if you you know if you look at what people are invested in, the the sort of rooting interest a lot of people have in Formula One, I do suspect that ferrari is a huge part of this thing and ferrari mystique and i think it would be really scary to tell ferrari and all those legions of tifosi who buy that god-awful merch at every grand prix around the world uh to say you know what walk see you know see how far you get with um literally
1: where else would they go
2: endurance racing maybe
1: fucking good good for them where are those fans you think those fans are going to go to endurance racing they don't care they just yeah they want a Ferrari and F one. It would be like to me this is such a terrible bluff. Like especially at this stage. That's and true. I'm I'm just kind of sick of it. I'm sick of Ferrari basically cheating their way in the sport. Like I know there's a lot of Ferrari fans listening to this podcast. I'm sorry. It's just been too long where they've they've pulled out this this totally self like it's it's a selfish play. Like, and I, I, especially in moments like this, maybe where like the future of the sport and the future of like way more teams and way more jobs. And the reality of it is like tenuous. Like this would be the time to maybe be magnanimous and just take your hand off the wheel for a second and like, let this sport become more competitive. I'm just, maybe I've just reached the end of my tether, but I, I smell blood in the water when it comes to Ferrari. And I think, I think they should go for them. I think they should let them give them the the rope and and see what they do with it. Because like, I just, I I can't see a world in which they matter that much anymore. Like they don't.
2: They, well, there's, there's the further issue of did formula one effectively give away the store to Ferrari in its, like in its regulations, right. Hmm. In like in its, in its uh, rule books for the, Govern for the governance of the sport, uh, because Ferrari arguably has a veto power over uh regulations imposed on Formula One. Uh, so this is one of the other issues is that Ferrari has sort of been given just like with the um, god, what was it, the the column, the 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 column four. Uh, payment that they used to get in the uh right. in the in the Formula 1 revenue uh plan they also have a special carve out uh in the ISC regulations that allow them to that theoretically allow them to basically shut down things like a cost cap being imposed now mm. that's one of those things though that like is that <sighs> is the veto itself a bluff you you know what I mean is the is the veto itself a bluff you can call? I think you'd have to be a lawyer to, to know that, right? Like I think it's one right. thing if we're not going to honor we're not gonna honor this veto uh so you can you you can walk, that's one thing. But if you open yourself to like nightmarish legal action by Ferrari against the sport, uh then then you can be in deep trouble.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, a few, I think um details here that i don't know i found kind of interesting um the fia has is kind of trying to circumvent this in um uh, you know these difficult times by saying instead of having this uh, unanimous support required for changes to the the isc which is the international f1 international sporting code um because of this weird situation we now think that uh We should just have a majority instead of unanimous. Hmm. Um, However, uh, Dieter Rankin at uh, racefans.net has seen, apparently, these uh, veto clauses uh, and says, As things stand, the Ferrari veto overrules all ISC and F1 regulatory clauses, while it could be argued that the financial regulations apply only from 2021 onwards and are thus beyond the scope of the current contracts and regulations, right. Ferrari has been promised quote, future protection rights, uh, in brackets, veto, uh, in presentation material presentation materials seen by race, fan, race fans, which specifically cover quote, principal financial regulations amongst other covenants. So like you said, Rob. Theoretically, the veto is still in play, Um, but the FIA is doing its doing its hardest job of uh, of making it uh, of circumventing it. So now, do you remember how uh,
2: bruising the negotiations were before the last? I actually, I'm not sure you guys were in F1 uh, when this when this went down. Um, Like, because I want to say it was like around 2006, 2007. uh, Ferrari was really like on the ledge. Uh, hmm. when it came to the new concord agreement and they were really taking the fight uh to i think it was the waning days of uh max mosley uh running off oh yeah and they were very they, they they were very much in a we will shoot the hostage uh type of mode back then which is which i which is i think where some of this stems from uh, okay. i think they basically played chicken in that environment and they won, but obviously it's a very different environment uh, right now. That was at the, that was the, at the end of the Schumacher era, right? Like that was, that was, as you said, Danny, Ferrari was F1, F1 was Ferrari. And I think they literally said that uh, during those disagreements and during, during those arguments, I do think given how visibly unhealthy the sport has become from a competitive standpoint since then, um, I do think, they've never been more expendable in some ways um it's also just oh how embarrassing to be demanding the right to just set more money on fire in the sport where you've barely been competitive for the championship for most yeah. of the past decade I mean yeah, have-
0: which kind yeah. of doesn't that kind of admit that like we can only hang by Dumping way more money than everyone else into this,
1: of course. But like, you'll never hear any Tavosi say but that. that's what they're saying. Yeah, but like, I'm sure Red Bull are spending an absolute fortune as well, and they're all. I'm sure Mercedes well, yeah. are too. But like, like, yeah, essentially, like they're able to afford drivers like Sebastian Vettel.
0: Yeah, uh, I do have one pretty choice quote here uh, from again from RaceFans.net. It's a statement issued by Ferrari uh, clarifying oh, what Mattia Bonato said. Uh. Uh, <laughs> the statement says um, about uh, Benato, he never mentioned about Scuderia Ferrari quitting F1. On the contrary, he said that we would not want to be put in a position of having to look at further options because continuing racing in F1 deploying our racing DNA in case the budget cap would be even more drastically reduced, putting at risk hundreds of workplaces. What? How is that contrary?
1: Wait, that he didn't mention quitting on
0: the contrary. He said, we don't want to have to be put in a position to look elsewhere.
1: Yeah. And by what? the way, this is about jobs. This isn't about anything else, which is like, yeah, yeah, sure. You think all that money you've got is being spent on workers? Like, fuck off
0: yeah uh all right um some better news i guess f1 2020 the game it's announced it's coming in july
1: party on that you can you can be an 11th team you can be you can make your own italian you can make a whole new brand new italian racing team (laughs) wait there already is alfatori you can make a third italian racing team in my team
0: mode could i make a venezuelan one
1: uh, okay, Maldonado. <laughs> um, what, would you, what would you call them? Mal- the like Scuderia Maldonado is that what we're going to go you with? Go. There? Okay. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, sorry, if, sorry if I rolled up any Ferrari fans. My bad. I'm just, I'm just. I'm sick. I, I I'm like sick of unhinged it. O'Dwyer. I oh, got this, this. Sick of it. This is a good. good nothing. A I, nothing episodes. makes me more. Nothing makes me more annoyed than than money being the thing that is unfair and like anyway that's whatever anyway you can spend your money <laughs> boy
2: do i have terrible on... news about this sport danny <laughs> i know right <laughs> why
1: do i watch this i should get back to playing tiddlywinks or something like that um yeah uh, sorry my team mode in uh the new f1 is going to allow you to add a team which will make them 21 22 car uh races uh, which is pretty cool and they will also have all the new circuits in it and yeah it's uh couldn't come it's coming nice and early and you know nicely done because obviously we're all we're all waiting to play some f1 there's also going to be a deluxe schumacher edition which i've just seen on this story on redbull.com um which uh i'm not really sure what's in it but it's probably just a bunch of skins (laughs) not to be reductive or anything (laughs) i've gotten the special edition of these games historically that's been what
2: it's been yeah, it's always yep. been a
1: bunch of skins and a bunch of uh, bunch of cars and stuff. Yeah, here we go. Our car features the uh his V10 which was the F2000. So, yeah, I won 10 of the 17 races in the 2000 se- season. Um I see Johnny Herbert's name is mentioned here. Oh, the Benetton V195 is going to be in there as well. That's cool. That's from 1994. And the Jordan <laughs> 191 just as well. Want from them. 1991. So, that's cool.
2: Just keep like stop jumping around years. Like, just keep adding vintage race cars from the same season and then, like, backdoor historic racing into the Ooh. F1 games. Like, that's mm. the that's the shit I'm here for.
1: I bet I can't imagine what the, uh, the contract negotiations are for all of these vintage cars. Could you imagine? They're all owned oh, they have by to be really either. rich companies who don't care about digital. I, I am
2: so curious about, like... Fire up one of these games in like five years. Are all those vintage cars going to be there? <laughs> yeah, Don't it's going to be like, a,
1: be, yeah, they'll patch out their music like in Grand Theft Auto. F1
2: 2020
1: is coming to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, and Google Stadia oh, on July yeah. 10th, 2020. Sweet.
0: Uh, speaking of larger grids and the 1991 season, I watched the United States Grand Prix of 1991 last night okay uh which the, is available on f1 tv archive nice um couple notes one there were 26 cars that started the race that's a lot it's a significant field it's a lot more than the last
1: american grand prix <laughs> that was done in that era eight cars finished <laughs> oh geez yeah was it Wait, mechanical was errors race?
0: or uh this was in phoenix
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. This,
0: is,
2: this is before they brought it back in Indy. Yes. Wow. Uh, um, wow.
0: Also, I'm, maybe this is exposing just how little I know of Formula One before the years that we were recording this podcast. <laughs> uh, there were cars with V8 engines. There were cars with V10 engines. And there were cars with V12 engines.
1: <laughs> we should watch a whole season of the aerodynamic nightmare seasons fan cars and all
2: that's what we could have if we just (laughs) deregulated f1 (laughs) (laughs) yeah let teams spend what they want let them build what they want let's see
1: spike Uh, traps green shells let's do it (laughs) emps
0: (laughs) speaking of uh Wishful thinking, I guess. The fantasy, the F one fantasies. Let's take it to the emails, Danny. Shall we? Sure,
1: absolutely. You can send your F one fantasies to shift F one podcast at gmail or go to f one slash emails, and your email might be read out like this one from Ian in Toronto. Uh, Ian says, "I'm one of the many more recent converts to F one. Uh, welcome to the church, Ian." Um, although I am from Scotland, I was born and brought up in Belgium, where I was babysat as a child by a one-time F1 driver and current Formula E driver, Jerome D'Ambrosio.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Despite Jerome only having competed in the 2011-2012 F1 season, I nevertheless feel a sense of loyalty to Jerome for looking after me as my mother drove my sisters to endless swimming engagements. Uh, I'm currently delving deeper into the sport and its history. No doubt, Jerome will sadly be replaced as my favorite driver quite soon. But I was curious to hear whether any of you guys had any soft spots for drivers that only held a F1 seat for one season. Um, So I did some thinking about this and a bit of research and I came up with a couple. It's actually quite difficult to find drivers who only had one season. Lots of Mm. them kind of did a couple of races here and there maybe. uh, Maybe had a season, maybe came back again. Um, uh, Some of them drove a handful of races, but you could hardly say they had an entire season. Uh, but I got a couple of favorites for me. The one that popped up in my mind right away was Lucas Degrassi. who only had one in 2012, 2010. Sorry. Who of course has gone on, uh, to have great success in uh, formula, e, uh, winning the championship. Um, Alan McNish was one that I I hadn't actually thought of before. He drove for Toyota in 20, uh, 2001. People might know him. He's a an F- he's a pundit now. Uh, he's also like a three time Le Mans winner. I think he won American Le Mans three times. Um, had a fantastic career in racing. Uh, he I was believe with- he's
0: I believe he's also a team principal. Yes, uh,
1: for a Formula E team for Audi. Um, yeah, he's the principal for them. Uh, so he apparently paired. Uh, with Mika Salo in, in Toyota in 2011, 2001. And both of them were replaced by uh, Olivier Panis and I, Cristiano de Mata, who is a name I hadn't thought of, I haven't heard in forever. Um, uh, in one season, they were they were kind of both replaced. And you could you could arguably say that they've replaced two good drivers with two maybe not so great drivers. Um, I believe McNish's final race uh, was he was the one who had the or maybe it wasn't his final race but one of his last races was he was the one that had the really bad crash on 130 or that meant that they ended up changing the uh, the exit there um, so we had a a, a turbulent um, F1 season you could say but no one has as turbulent a single F1 season I think as my my maybe my pick for favorite driver <laughs> for one year uh, 1995 we had the season of Take Inoue um, the fantastic Kobe-born Japanese F1 driver who was knocked down or hit by not one, but two support cars in two separate races. He was hit by uh, some sort of vehicle in Monaco, apparently, but the one everyone remembers him from is um, uh, damaging his leg not badly enough that he didn't miss any races, but apparently he had to be carted out of there um, at the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix, uh, which was shown on television. If you want to check out Nui getting out of his car and then getting hit by a support vehicle coming to help him, um, you can do that <laughs> on youtube.com. It's a different time. <laughs> different times, yeah. Just about. Um, so those are the three for me.
2: All right, so this question put me in <laughs> mind of my actual... First memories of Formula One. Okay. Um, which I forgot. No. Uh, summer of love. <laughs> Michael Andretti's attempt mm. at the sport. Uh. uh, so this is where it first got on my radar. Now here's the thing. Like Michael Andretti was fine. Uh, He was fine. fine. Uh, Michael Andretti is a perfectly decent uh, race driver who had the misfortune, but also probably enabled his entire career to be the son (laughs) of Mario Andretti, uh, who's one of the all-time greats, right? Like, Mario is just one of those names that, like, greatest driver who ever lived, he has to be part of the conversation. Mm. Michael began to attempt... Uh, some of this and he had a decent he had he had a decent uh, stint in IndyCar uh, and then at some point he decides he's going to go into Formula One and this is where I started paying attention to it because it was like, oh, shit, like Michael's leaving IndyCar and going to F1 and so that was the first time I think I started paying a little bit of attention to Formula One to see how a driver uh, my family followed uh, would perform there and also to see an American competing in Formula One. And let me tell you, he ran like garbage. Really? <laughs> it, did, it did not go well. Uh, he went to the McLaren team and it was a pretty... Ob- what? When did he go to McLaren? Was-
1: 93. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. So he was partnered with Senna.
2: Yeah, not a place in, in you want to be. In Senna's
1: final season?
2: Wow. Yeah, I had I, I had completely forgotten about this until I was like, when did Michael go over? And I, I, I thought it was later, because uh, I remember watching some of the season. Like, I remember Michael got a podium. And mm. I remember thinking like, okay, he's starting to finally click with this. But that was sort of the last gasp of his Formula One campaign. Uh, and apparently, I didn't know this, but uh, looking at the Wikipedia article about that season, apparently like Mika Hakkinen was already there in the wings waiting as the driver that like Ron Dennis and McLaren knew was the future of that team post right. uh And so, which is a very McLaren thing to do, right? Like I think this is one of the reasons that Years later, you see Alonzo pull out, pull the ripcord real fast is because, well, Ron always has his favorites, right? Ron always has his actual bet that he's that he's placed uh, in the background somewhere. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so yeah, so Michael tried to make a go of an F1. Fascinating thing I didn't realize is he tried to do it by commuting from the U.S. to the the races. And yeah, and so he like he didn't he didn't do the year at like McLaren HQ. Instead, he thought he could just show up and drive F1. And mind you, this is when Formula One was like near its most complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure uh, where we are in the regulations, but like, this is kind of the era where they start imposing more things to start removing things from the sport, right? Like by 2000 or so, they're saying we got to get rid of anti-lock brakes. Uh, But in this era, basically all these technologies were new and Formula One was basically embracing all of them. And so you have Andretti, who went from IndyCar, thinking that he can just fly out to Europe for a weekend and kick ass, uh, just getting absolutely ruined in in Formula One. And he's a team that is really disenchanted with him fast. Uh, so I, like, I think it was... A soft spot might be the weird way to put it. It was a heartbreaking campaign, though, because it's one of those things Americans love to root for Americans. And let me tell you, Americans tend not to be great at global sports <laughs> that we haven't invented.
0: Yeah. I wish I had a more of a, um, you know, a catalog to pull from here, but, uh, I really don't. I remember seeing a, uh, a video on autosport about eight F one drivers who only started one grand Prix, which oh, wow. I did manage to find. Um,
1: <laughs> I, anyone we'd remember I,
0: well i i would have to watch the whole thing again um although people in the comments are mentioning one marcus winklehawk
1: that name is familiar
0: but uh yeah i'll, I'll put that in the show notes for for people that oh to watch we
2: can't it. let this segment go by without talking about luca luca's a grassy uh bad or, or Badour.
1: oh no wait no
2: the Ferrari test driver that they had fill in for Michael when Michael broke his foot. Oh, no, I don't remember this. What, oh, what, what, what it was I- so bad, dude. Uh, So, <laughs> OK. Uh, Just again, soft spot, kind of like this was the guy you felt really, really bad for. Uh, he was a Ferrari test driver. And in let's see, I, I want to say it was. Um, oh, was he the one who replaced? No, I guess he replaced Massa. Uh, when he got hurt, uh, but Masa got hurt during the Formula One season, uh, back in two thousand nine, and yeah, this is
1: when he got struck by the uh, piece of spring. No, this
2: is this is before that. Oh, Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, and so this is they they bring. I guess it is. Was this? You're right.
1: It was off of. um,
2: Oh my God! What is time? <laughs> in, oh yeah, no. two thousand nine. Oh no, he was, he
1: was he was knocked out during a race because of a a, a nos that came off the back of. a uh...
2: Oh what no, in she... my head that's not that long ago. Was it
1: Barrichello's car? No, it
2: wasn't. Yes, it was. It was, a... was Barrichello's car. car yeah, I think it car, was the yeah. Brown I mean, GP season. Oh no, yeah. that's a long time ago. Oh no. anyway, that makes
1: fools of us all.
2: Yeah, I, I'm like, no, that was this was this is ancient history, whereas Felipe getting uh, clocked by that spring was was recent. Uh, no, it wasn't. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so Ferrari it, it is the season's kind of gonna be a wash. And so they make this weird decision Pu- all their public statements had this tenor. and so I may- maybe this was true. It was almost like this was their gold watch season for Luca uh, Badur, who was a long-standing like Ferrari test driver and part of their various like racing and testing programs mm. and so he was at the end of his he was the end of his career with Ferrari and they're just like Put me in, coach. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's like Rudy. (laughs) It's like Rudy, the movie Rudy, except you watch that guy just get the shit knocked out of him for like an entire regular season rather than like run one play. And it was a disaster. Uh, He wasn't current on the regs. He didn't know how to drive the car. Uh, I want to say they almost had to make special exceptions for him to get him within the qualifying time Mm. uh, because he was posting such bad lap times that like- Ferrari. yeah, he was gonna fall Ouch. afoul of the uh was the hundred and seven percent rule. So uh it was a disaster. And it was one of those things where it was like you know that, that story the other week, the guy who was given the uh the ride in the French fighter jet? Uh it <laughs> oh, his yeah. oh <laughs> my God. It was it was like a racing season of that did
1: we talk about that on the podcast i, think I don't think so. we did i think we were just talking about it on discord could can, can, can you give us the one the the quick version of that true uh
0: yeah a um <laughs> some business guy i think um was given a ride in a french fighter jet and
1: uh as like a like a random gift from his from uh, his co friends yeah okay um
0: yeah. and <laughs> freaked out and uh well i think was looking for something to hold on to um but reached up and grabbed the eject handles and ejected himself from the plane
1: and he was where was he like he was at like 1500 feet maybe he, he lived too hot. everybody survived yeah but boy oh boy <laughs> including the, the the pilot who had to land the plane right with the cockpit with
2: opening. an open canopy yeah
1: that's oh it's yeah. awful uh, were 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 you done with your story, Rob? Sorry.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I mean, that. So so batter is kind of one of those like, this was this was one of those single season disasters that only came about because of a weird confluence of events and just the cupboard was bare. Uh, I wonder if things changed after that because I think today every team has reserve drivers in place that you would say like quite credibly could have gone in, right? Yeah. Like I wonder if the
1: super license stuff maybe wasn't in uh, place hmm. then, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, you think but, a test driver, or a resort would be able to be good at <laughs> the job of <is laughs> driving, driving the car? The car. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. No,
2: but if you were testing, like I think that the one of the issues was he was testing other shit for ages. You know what I mean? Like I think he was part of other. He was testing for Ferrari. how comfortable
1: are the seats? Do yeah. the water bottles feel good?
2: Yeah. yeah. So it's it, it was pretty grim
1: uh I looked up Marcus Winkelhock uh so he did ring a bell I think we talked about him before in this he's the only F1 driver in F1 history to start last on the grid and lead the race in his first grand prix <laughs> so, so he didn't win the race but he did lead for 6 laps um because of a uh, uh, it was at the European Grand Prix um there was basically a sort of a, a rain problem he was on the right tire strategy and then he ended up coming out once they restarted the race he was he was ahead of everyone amazing um, and led for six laps and then he had a i guess he was on the wrong strategy then for the re, for the restart and that's why he ended up going back and he unfortunately retired um because he had a hydraulic problem or something um so yeah and that that is literally the only t- it was for spiker in 2007 and that is literally the only race he had ever raced in F1 so it's pretty good pretty good going I'm
0: still convinced uh, spiker is the name of a wipeout team It's too good <laughs>
1: sounds like all right
0: should i take this next one yeah please uh spencer writes in and says hi shifters upon drew's recommendation i've gone and watched all of moto gp's 2019 season by the way uh, i believe MotoGP's video archives are still open for free you can just watch every race now awesome. um it's been a great watch and highly entertaining i find myself becoming a new fan for the series and some favorite drivers Uh, namely Alex Rins, Fabio Quattararo, and Taka Nakagami. Uh, That being said, I noticed something great that the production for MotoGP would do, being a picture-in-picture, to keep an eye on the driver at the front, if there wasn't an active fight for top position going on, while using the main picture to keep focused on the best fights happening throughout the race. It struck me that I hadn't seen that in F1 and wanted to get your thoughts on whether this should or shouldn't be adopted. Uh, I think it would have been used to great effect during races like Abu Dhabi 2019, where we missed out on Carlos Sainz's last lap fight to take the single point he needed to rise above Pierre Gasly, and instead got a face full of Lewis coming across the line way ahead of the rest of the pack yet again. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they do this quite often in MotoGP, where um, usually Marc Marquez is running away at the front of the field, <laughs> and so they just stick him in a little window up the top so you can see what's going on, uh, and then they... They cut the main feed to wherever the closest battles are happening, Um, because I think, you know, people just want to know that their man Marquez, I guess, is still on his bike. You know, from that perspective, I don't think it's really that necessary. But I, if that means that we don't need to take airtime to look at Marquez or in this case Lewis Hamilton, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think MotoGP has been on the; they've always been um the pioneers when it comes to video production yeah, like they've
1: had kind of more experimental
0: yeah right? um they've had super slow-mo for a really long time they had sector times um i really like the way that they do qualifying where uh they show um each sector whether it's your personal best or they formula 1 has this now but motogp had, had it forever um mm. yeah a more more MotoGP production in Formula One. I even saw uh, last year they had uh, a camera mounted to the chest of um, uh, uh, track marshals who would go oh, run out to help um, crashed riders. And so you could see from the marshals' perspective, them wow. helping the riders. And it has like some crazy stabilization on it. I don't know how it works, but uh, yeah, it's wild. MotoGP is
1: great. That's wild. Yeah, I'd like to see that as well, I think. At MotoGP, the races aren't as long and there's a bit more overtaking going on, so I kind of feel like they need it maybe more than F1 does. And I don't know, the end of the race is, is tricky because you kind of have to, like if Lewis Hamilton's crossing the line, that's the shot they want. Right. Um, but it's a dumb like, shot. Would, would that yeah, work in a picture It's the shot they
0: want. It's not the shot anyone needs.
1: Yeah, it's... I, but, look, but, I, but I don't think picture-in-picture picture solves that problem. No. I think you end up having... You you just need to not you need to show the Carlos signs thing then, you know, because like yeah even when Hamilton won that remember I guess that was Massa crossing the line though so it, I was thinking of the Interlagos the one that went down to the last corner but yeah like it it just, there's a lot of the things at the end of races that they. They kind of miss out on because they, it's, I don't mind them showing crossing the line. It's the lingering shots after of the waving when all that stuff's going on yeah. behind them. It's like, just go bang, 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 bang. Just don't worry about yep. consistency or lingering. At that Sometimes
2: stage. they do that. Sometimes you like see them like cross, the, like finish the last corner, go across timing and scoring and then right back to the action. But yeah, mm. other times it's just like, oh, let's watch them go through all of sector three while they're driving alone to this win and in the meantime, you're seeing positions changing uh, or intervals narrowing uh, behind them. It's it's really frustrating. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that I think they should be way more aggressive with bringing up the track map and showing, like, everyone's relative position. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. one of the things that really hit me last year is when I would go back and watch the race replay in the F1 TV app and bring up, like, the circuit map and the telemetry, yeah. like, how much a clear how much clearer a picture of the spatial relationships in F1 you can see versus how badly you have a feel for these things during the race like
1: yeah we talked about that just, remember when F1 TV started right it was that suddenly you were like oh you have a way better yeah. just broad scope
2: right and, and so i think this is this is one of those things like i think the circuit position map is the equivalent of like the NFL's like all 22 where it's like, no, that's actually the state of play. That's actually yeah. like what that's actually what the str- like what the race strategists are looking at, and we rarely get to see that. What's all twenty two? Uh, all twenty two is the picture. It's so you almost never see it in an actual uh, football broadcast. It is the picture that captures all twenty two players on the field at all times, and they're always within frame. And so if you see the gen- general NFL broadcast feed it's basically a tight shot on the line and the quarterback you see the quarterback dropping dropping back but what it was lost immediately is guys running routes like they just yeah. run out of the frame the defenders in the secondary they also run out of frame and
1: quarterback quarterback quarterback
2: yeah and sack, so you sack, have, sack yeah right so they throw a pass and then you see the the results of the play, but what you don't see is what the quarterback saw, right? You which, don't-
1: which is why that camera from behind they started testing last year worked so much better, because yeah. you got that quarterback movement, but also you could see the rights, you could see them like in the distance.
2: Right because like that 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 secondary part of the field is so dynamic that if you only show the part where the ball arrives you are missing all the decision making and the design of the play and i think it's a similar thing in formula 1 where like if you only show like pit strategy for instance You cut from a car in the pits to their opponent coming around and you see like the drag race with the car running down the pit row under the speed limit and the the car rounding the corner running at full speed. That is dramatic, but it's also kind of deceptive because you don't have any sense of like well, what was the state of play when the strategy call was made, right? Did that make any kind of sense? Um, And so that's... So much of F1 hinges on circuit position and how people cycle back in and out, uh, you know, via tire strategy, and we never see that. Um, It's really frustrating.
1: It's tough work. It's tough to put on production. Like, generally, F1 is, like, I think one of the best broadcasted sports, or at least it sort of historically was for a long time, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean...
2: It's... World's better than when they let local TV stations uh, do it. (laughs) Um, I remember when I started watching, it was always like the local TV network of whoever the host country was. And that could get real grim when it was like Interlagos, for instance, and you're suddenly watching a lot of Rubens Barrichello uh, for some reason or (laughs) or, or various things like that uh, where there would sort of be a a Homer broadcast. Uh, All right, so uh, our next letter is from... We don't have a name on this. I think Is that
1: not the name? Let me get the name. Mystery emailer. Keep going and I'll get you a name. I thought that yeah. was the name.
2: I mean, if someone's name is Exeter, uh, good for them. That's cool, but I'm not sure.
1: You keep reading. I'll, yeah. I'll look it up.
2: Uh, so our next email says, Hey guys, the mechanic you were talking about the other day, the guy who gets really excited and reacts well on camera is Lee Stevenson. He's he their number <laughs> one mechanic. I think this is the Red Bull, uh, drive, the Red Bull mechanic and is a favorite in our house. I wish there was a montage of all his reactions. Cheers, Alex.
1: In Exeter, I'm sorry. I
2: damn, he, his name is in Exeter. I was like, damn, that's, that's <laughs> cool
1: that's cool yeah who do who mentioned that was that you drew mentioned yeah
2: because they he's a
0: he is drive to survives favorite uh, Red Bull pit crew member
1: awesome uh, and the final email we have is from Kobe in Texas who uh, the the subject line for this email was all caps remember how you said they could do a Dcs fighter flyover in NASCAR this is the we were Hypothesizing that they'd basically done all the other NASCAR stuff, we'd seen the what's it called? The there's oh, the invocation, invocation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the national, national anthem. anthem, but we didn't have the flyover, um, and uh, I'll uh, we'll stick it in the show notes. But uh he sent a video from the latest NASCAR race. I'm gonna where, I'm
0: gonna watch it in real time.
1: Oh my goodness, it's so good! So not only do they have fighter jets, these are uh, actual. Uh, military f- uh, fighter pilots from Seymour Johnson Air Force Base the 4th Fighter Wing who are doing they're using a, I think it's their own program I'm not sure, it's a virtual reality flight simulator training exercise that they're basically they are doing um, I'm not sure if it's live or if this was footage they sent in but it's <laughs> straight up fighter jets Um I think they're F14s. Uh
2: They're F15s. F15s? Yeah. Wow. I don't have a clue. Yeah, I I believe that
0: because the graphics are bad. <laughs> so I believe that this is a
2: real military. They're real scene. bad. Yeah. I wouldn't play this. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Look, look at those flight unlimited ass ground textures. Uh,
1: yeah, they yeah, it looks a bit it's a bit pancakey, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's it's very much just uh, a 1. JPEG like Google stretched over the yeah yeah. <laughs> All right, we will but link still, that that's too.
1: How beautiful! I love that it's actual fighter pilots as well. That's uh, that's pretty special. It makes sense. They get a real priest to do the invocation, so you gotta get real real pilots up there. Beautiful stuff. Yeah, uh, that's podcast at or sorry shift one podcast at gmail.com <laughs> That's right. Gonna send us your emails. Thank you to everyone who sent in emails this week. See yeah, in two weeks. Uh, you can also hit us up
0: on uh, Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny?
1: Electronic racing around the fair. Yeah. Trying that new falsetto this week. Nice. feels good. Nice.
0: Thank you. Um, well, we have, we're reaching the end of the IndyCar virtual racing. Uh, their final <laughs> round is this weekend at the international, I'm sorry, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's not international, it's just in Indiana. Um, but, uh, yeah, a, a fitting conclusion, I would say. Um, Formula E also has begun their, um, virtual races with Mm. i believe a full field of formula e drivers uh they're doing this thing where they have the the real drivers do their own race and then like an invite uh or maybe half invite half uh randos qualify to be
1: in it cool um which is cool i like uh, it but well, everyone's using... just trying to get lando norris on their on their seasons <laughs> now basically
0: <laughs> that's right yeah um but yeah they're, they're formula e is using r factor uh and formula one is also continuing to release uh classic f1 races onto their youtube channel for free and i believe this week it will be the 1999 european grand prix at the nürburgring um heard. but uh as you mentioned danny uh lando norris Took part in an IndyCar race last weekend, uh, which is something that a lot of the series is are doing. They have like one spot for a, a rotating cast member to jump in um, and Norris uh, hopped in and um, Rob, you watched this race, right? Yeah. Uh, sp- First of all, spoilers.
1: Yeah, spoilers.
0: <laughs> spoilers. Uh, You should go watch it. We will. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. So go ahead,
2: Rob. The thing is, the thing I didn't realize is that Lando has been famous in iRacing since he was six years old, basically. Six. Like, they were talking about this during the broadcast, that Lando Norris, since he was a little child, has been racing in iRacing. And so, while he isn't an IndyCar driver, he knows iRacing in and out, like, Like, more than racing, iRacing is his video game. Um, And so, yeah, I would say the result was pretty much like you had not only a Formula One driver who knew Coda pretty well, uh, but also he's in a sim that he has been playing since childhood. Uh, And he utterly crushed... Uh, that field like he he almost threw the race away Uh, he sort of bobbled he bobbled the car in the final corner and then did that thing where after you lose time you try to like regain it by like getting on the gas a little too aggressively and he just dumped himself around Um, and so that that dumped him back into the middle of the pack which made it interesting in the final half of the race because he had to claw all that position back but he kind of effortlessly did so. Like he, he was, he was. I want to say um, his qualifying lap was, I think, four tenths faster uh, than the next fastest, and after that, the times were generally uh, like a full second off that second place time. So, like he, he was like, also
1: like chatting to his chat the whole time, wasn't he? <laughs> he was like talking what? to his Twitch chat while he was racing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh wow, that's
2: yeah. <laughs> well, and apparently there's a really and and Drew, you found this. There's a really nice article mm-hmm. over on uh, the the race dot com the hyphen race dot com. Uh, one of the things they mentioned during the broadcast is that his old engineer uh, was with him. Like I, his old engineer was his engineer for this race. Like they did his Formula One stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, they did some race strategy, I guess, uh, together, and so they did like some pretty serious testing uh, in advance of this thing to get him sort of dialed in for the race. Which, by the way, is not too unusual for um, for what's going on in iRacing IndyCar. Like, I think Penske has deployed its full strategy team <laughs> to help their drivers uh, uh, figure this out. So it, wow. it's Got been better. A, to do, I guess it's been a really good season, man.
0: Yeah, the, I found, um, yeah, this article from therace.com, uh, fascinating because so they basically, <laughs> somebody at the race watched Lando's, uh, practice stream where he was practicing circuit of the Americas in an Indy car, um, with his engineer, uh, jarve. Um, and Lando would do a lap, come back into the pits and then talk to jarve, uh, who would like, you could hear him taking notes, like, okay. Yeah, you know, the the entry was a little, you know, a little mushy or, you know, I had understeer here and Jarvis just taking notes. And I guess he has an interface, maybe. I don't really know how this works. I think he might have an interface where he can tweak values on the car because I wasn't seeing Lando do that. Um, but there was also a point where Lando muted himself and covered his mouth. So he was streaming, but he was, you couldn't hear him. So he was talking to his engineer about, I guess, race strategy. But the cool part about this is we never ever get to hear the drivers talk with their engineer about car setup. And so to hear this was like, like a peek behind the curtain. It was amazing. So I, I will definitely link that article and I'll rank I'll link. Another one from race fans, um, that sort of gives a, uh, it's like a debrief of that whole weekend. Um, in, uh, in you know adapting um to an indie car um interviews with lando norris so uh yeah that's that to me has been uh probably the most fascinating thing i've come across as a result of all this e-racing uh second most fascinating charles Leclerc dressed as a banana
1: good stuff love it yeah always works not
0: something you would expect from a a ferrari (laughs) driver like remember like five years ago when they weren't even allowed to have twitter accounts smiles yeah or that
1: it's a whole new generation man
0: it truly is uh anything else gentlemen danny
1: should have been a red banana if you wanted to be a real (laughs) ferrari man yes no that's uh it's good to chat chance good to chat f1 good to chat about what might happen this season whether it will or won't it's good to have dreams f1 esports still taking over the world and uh yeah i'm cautiously i'm looking forward to our hopefully our interview uh goes ahead that, that'll be a fun one next week
2: yeah agreed uh rob oh yeah i'm just hoping they uh i like that they're making plans for summer racing love it cannot <laughs> wait to see how it'll how it pans out <laughs> i would love to see it
1: i'd love i'd love helicopter shots of austria that would cheer me up real good
2: yeah uh, well, if you'd
0: like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.